For exclusive content and online scripts, for those of you who would like to follow along, visit projects.oudaily.com slash loverslane. 1970. It was the summer after Woodstock and America's counterculture was thriving. The hippie era was still blazing, but now the kids coming of age had become increasingly politically active. Hundreds of thousands of college students were protesting the Vietnam War. The OU Daily, in a new podcast series called Uncovered, investigated a pair of murders that took place May 9, 1970, in Norman. I'm Kayla Branch, and I'll be your host as we hear stories and firsthand accounts from those involved with the case. The murders are intrinsically tied to the decade they occurred, the type of technology available for investigations, the loss of trust in police, and the beginnings of harsh public scrutiny into government bodies. Most of the case takes place in central Oklahoma and northern Texas, but our story begins five days earlier in Kent, Ohio, on Monday, May 4, 1970. After President Richard Nixon announced plans to invade Cambodia, riots, protests, and demonstrations broke out all over the country. Thousands gathered for a demonstration on the Kent State University campus in Ohio. The National Guard was called in to contain the crowd, and shots were fired when students were dispersed. Four students were killed, and nine others were wounded. On Tuesday, May 5th, the University of Oklahoma Student Association gathered hundreds of students to protest not only the war, but the actions of law enforcement in Ohio. Five days later, a few miles west of OU's campus, shots were fired again, ending the lives of two college students. Decades of investigations followed, creating ripples in the Norman community still felt today. This past spring, our newsroom got a call asking if we could look through our old newspapers to find a picture taken of a Jimi Hendrix concert on campus from the May 12, 1970 paper. A daily staffer began flipping through the pages in our large, dusty archive books. She found the newspaper with the requested photo, but also found what led to the months-long daily investigation into that pair of murders. Two found dead in trunk. Those five words, in large, bold font, headlined a story on the bottom right corner of the May 12th front page. When I first heard that, there was a little bit of shock, and as I read further, a little bit of intrigue. We flipped through the following days, seeing article after article following police officials and community groups. When I googled the names of those involved, dozens of articles popped up, spanning decades. That's when we realized this case was more than a pair of untimely deaths. We had talked about wanting to devote resources to an investigative piece, and what unfolded left us determined to tell the stories of not only those who died, but really about those who spent their lives with the case and how police at the local and state level conduct investigations. Back to that Tuesday in 1970. The OU protest ended peacefully, but police and residents were on edge for the rest of the week. There was a carnival coming to town and classes were ending soon, so students were hosting parties. Police were spread thin. But amid the chaos, David Sloan and Cheryl Benham were preparing for a date. She loves her job. <laughs> There's one picture of Sherry. She was so cute. She had the little dark hose, the little red skirt, and the white top with the, you know, just was so cute in it. This is Linda Adams, the older sister of Cheryl Benham. She talked about Cheryl like this every time we had a phone call. She also... Uh, her first nephew, my son, that was living there with us, you know. So she was uh, just crazy about him. She had, believe it or not, a blue Mustang, baby blue Mustang. And I mean, 
car was, you know, and, uh, you know, so she'd drive it to work, drive it to go see her friends. She loved, she loved life. She loved everything that everybody did, and she looked for that in people. For Linda, talking openly about her sister is something that's relatively new. It may have been almost 50 years since the murders, but Linda said it rarely feels that long. Cheryl met David Sloan at Steak and Ale, a restaurant in Oklahoma City where they both worked. David came to OU as a student from Amarillo, Texas in 1966. Described as ornery but well-liked and friendly, he was on a tennis scholarship for his first two years. There's a picture of him in a 1969 OU yearbook with his racket. He was tall with thick brown hair and a lean build. He's got a big smile, seems confident. He was part of the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity. According to newspaper articles and the Norman transcript from that first week, David was set to graduate the upcoming December with a business administration degree and then be commissioned through the Naval ROTC. Cheryl graduated from Putnam City High School in 1969 and was living in Oklahoma City with her parents, her older sister Linda and Linda's oldest son, and her brother Steve. She was outgoing and fun, and their family was close. She was 19. When we found Linda's phone number and reached out to her, she had reservations about telling her story to another set of reporters. But she became an invaluable source, sharing personal details from a family struck with tragedy. We never found anyone from Dave's family to speak to like this, so we were given a much clearer look at the Benham family from Linda's vivid recollections of almost 50 years ago. The Benhams were traditional. Linda and Cheryl's parents, Ben and Sue Benham, moved around for Ben's different jobs until settling their family in Oklahoma City for good. Our family was very close, very close. And we were brought up, <laughs> uh, we went to church, we, uh, my dad was a mason, and it, it just, you know, it was just, like a fairy tale now. There are families like that now, I don't think. And Sherry and I, yes, we were, well, we shared the same bedroom. We, we were very close, and she was just, oh, well-respected, very intelligent, just, you know, uh, my dad was a very strict father. I know I was the oldest. You know, you just knew, you know, what to do and what not to do. They lived in a house off of Northwest 46th Street, a main road in Oklahoma City. Today, that house is tall and long, bricked at the bottom. It sits in a quiet neighborhood. There's a large backyard shaded by multiple trees. The driveway is to the left, the sidewalk running along the length of the house for a few yards before the steps to the front door. That's where David would have walked when he came to pick Cheryl up for their date, Saturday night. From interviews, news articles, and court documents, we were able to piece together an outline of that night. After picking Cheryl up at her Oklahoma City home, the pair drove down to Norman to attend a party at Davis Fraternity. They stayed at the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity house for a few hours, hanging out with friends. There would have been music, talking, some drinking, maybe dancing. The more I learned about that night, the more I realized it started off just like fraternity parties today. College students going out together, laughing with friends, looking forward to the future. That happens all the time at OU. But this night ended differently. They left the fraternity house around 11.30 p.m. and went to a place in Western Norman known as Lover's Lane. 
1970, Norman was going through a period of growth, but this part of town, out past the main highway and now home to a large residential area with houses and schools, was still just farmland and brush. It was private enough for young couples to park their cars and be intimate. The place Dave and Cheryl went was popular, though they probably weren't expecting to find any company. The two stayed there for an unknown amount of time. What is known is they were disrupted. This was one of the weirdest things ever. Before she left that house, she turned to my mother and said, Here, Mom, here's your Mother's Day present early. And my mom was like, oh, Okay. The next day was Mother's Day. And my mother still to this day, why did she give back to me? You know, was there a premonition? I, I don't know. Well, no one will ever know. Almost two days later, their belongings were found dropped in and around Dave's car, a 1966 Pontiac GTO. An old pool cue, broken in half, was in the front seat. The car was riddled with bullet holes, and inside the trunk were the bodies of David and Cheryl, shot and mutilated. The murders of David Sloan and Cheryl Benham remain unsolved. It's been 48 years and the case has been closed and reopened, seen two grand juries and one trial. Most of those who were involved in the case have died, but my team and I were able to track down individuals who remember firsthand what happened all those years ago. The stories they told were shrouded in conspiracy theories and different ways the case was mishandled by the Norman Police Department and the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. Hundreds of court documents back that up. As the night hours of May 9th wear on, Cheryl's dad becomes worried. What happens next leaves him and his family reeling while the Norman Police Department begins investigations. But one officer leaves just four days after the murders. What truly happened to Dave and Cheryl is still and may always be speculation. But some people believe they have a pretty good guess. Next time on Uncovered, The Lover's Lane Murders. It changes your whole entire life. First of all, he quit the police department and got out of town, which was brilliant. He didn't do it. If it really came out that he'd hired this guy who was on spending a sentence for beating up prisoners, mm -hmm. it would make him look off the bat. Mm -hmm. Just such a sad, sad thing, not just because of the murder, but the way it happened.